Y'all glad to be here today? Good. Take your Bible, go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter number 1. Man, hear them babies crying all the way up here. Rough day in the nursery. Pray for the nursery workers. Amen. Thank God for them. Uh, we'd be hearing that in here if they weren't back there. So anyhow, sure glad to see you today. We're excited about what the Lord's doing in our church and in our community. God is definitely on the move and working in people's lives. And so I'm thankful to be a part of that. I'm glad you're a part of it. We're in a series called Steps out of Second Peter chapter number one. There comes a point in your Christian journey when you have to become very purposeful about the way you follow Christ. There is, in the early days of being a Christian, uh, what I call the honeymoon season of the Christian life, where there's just a, an un, unexplainable joy that God puts upon you when you're new to the faith. Uh, just like a newborn baby, there's, there's just an excitement in the air when a child is born, right? Excitement mingled with a little fear and trepidation, but still... Um, excitement in the air. And it's the same way when we first come to know Christ as our Savior. The Bible says that we are born again into the family of God. As many as received him, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says to them, gave you power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Then it says when we're born, the Bible says we're like newborn babies who desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. So naturally, when a person comes to know Christ as their Savior, there's a hunger for the things of God. Your, your, your desires change. The things that you used to hunger and thirst after uh, seem to sort of fade away, and you have this newfound, regenerated desire to know God on a real cellular level. And so there's that, there's that freshness, there's that newness about being a Christian when you first get saved. Uh, I've been saved for almost 21 years now. I'm almost old enough to drink as a Christian. Amen. And uh, you got to reach that 21-year-old age in your spiritual journey, too. But uh, jokes aside, <clears throat> you know, you reach a point when, when really just the joy that you once had um, doesn't come as naturally as it did in the beginning. Um, the excitement that you may have had early on as a Christian doesn't come as easily or as naturally as it did in the beginning. And you've got to learn to purposefully make certain steps to add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And we're going to examine those steps that have to be made. So I want you to follow with me, Second Peter chapter number 1. Verse number 1, uh, the author introduces himself to us. It's Simon Peter. Simon Peter being the same guy that walked with Jesus in his earthly ministry, same guy that made the dynamic statement about the church. The first time the word church is mentioned uh, was in relation to what Simon Peter said to Jesus in Matthew 16, verse number 18. Jesus said, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Uh, some of the apostles said, well, they say that you're John the Baptist. Come back. Some think you're Elijah. Uh, some think you're Jeremiah. Jesus said, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter was the one who stepped up and said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He made that iconic statement that Jesus is the foundation of the church. He is the Christ the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood's not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. Same Simon Peter, okay? Also the same Simon Peter that uh, the night that Jesus was arrested, this is the same dude that denied Jesus three times. So Simon Peter's the guy that said, even if I have to die with you, I'll never deny you. Jesus said, the, cock's not, the rooster's going to not crow three times. When the rooster crows three times, you will have denied me three times, and or the cock crows twice or something. You Bible students would know, I don't know. Before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times. And, uh, and so 
Anyway, but the same guy, same Simon Peter that denied Jesus, same Simon Peter that when Jesus rose from the dead, he said to the, to the, to the women, go tell my disciples and Peter uh, that I've come back to life. Uh, same Simon Peter that in Acts chapter number two stood up and preached the, the dynamic sermon on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit fell on the church. And, and man, I'm telling you, God just used this guy greatly. But the point in saying that is God doesn't just use those who are always on par. He uses those who mess up and make mistakes as well. Uh, because Simon Peter was full of mistakes. I love the fact that God used him and recorded him in the Bible because he also recorded the problems that the dude had. Amen. And you all have problems, so I'm sure that makes you feel better. I can't identify with that, but I know some could, so I wanted to share that part, that God can use frail and broken people. But notice with me, Simon Peter, verse 1, a bond servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. Understand this, if we're saved, we got a ticket to heaven when we got saved. But you got more than a ticket to heaven. Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, he said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He said, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly, right? So we, 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 we glory in the fact that we're going to heaven someday, don't we? We, we, we rejoice in the fact that death is not the end. Oh, death, uh, where's your sting? Oh, grave, where's your victory? We rejoice in that, and rightly so. We really should, right? I mean, that's a pretty big deal that God's given us eternity in heaven. And as, as opposed to the alternative, right? He's given us eternity in heaven. And so that's a wonderful truth, but Jesus came to give you more than that. He said, to those of you who've obtained like precious faith with us, we have, we have received a faith that is precious, right? It's a priceless gift. And so we need to learn how to operate within that and walk by it. Verse number two, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, and our Savior, Jesus, and of Jesus, our Lord, rather, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which we have been given, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. So here he's given us this polar view of who we used to be and then the, the potential of who we can be in Christ, okay? So we have this polar view, this opposite uh, sort, of, sort of situation here, one end of the spectrum. Uh, he says, look, you used to live this way. You, you operated according to the lust of flesh. Uh, whatever you felt like doing, that's what you did, and it didn't get you too far because you found yourself still empty and hopeless and lacking things in your life. So living for yourself didn't work right? Like living to, to fulfill every fleshly desire, everything that you, you wanted in life, chasing that dream did not fulfill you. So now God has given you something that will fulfill you, and that something is becoming a partaker in the divine nature, knowing your creator on a personal level. Knowing your God, the one who made you, the one who designed you, the one who, who created you with a purpose. God didn't say, oops, after you were born, Right? When you, the day you're born, God didn't look at you and go, Dad, gummit, what am I going to do with this one? Right? Don't we have enough of these already? I don't know what I'm going to do with one more. God never, that thought never crossed his mind. When God, the Bible says before he made you, before he formed you in the belly, he knew you and had a plan for you. 
And so what he's saying here, in essence, if you didn't get the big introduction, go back and listen to the message from two weeks ago. But, but, but what he's saying here, in essence, is, listen, uh, what God is offering to you is that you can become a partaker in the divine nature, meaning you can know your creator. You can know God on a personal level, not a little pot-bellied statue God, right? Not a God that asks you to strap a bomb to your chest and blow yourself up for the faith. Not a God who asks you to take other people's lives uh, on his behalf, but the God of heaven who loves you and loves the world and loves those around you says, I want to become so like you that you become like me, and we walk together and we talk together and we have conversations and we have fellowship, and I know all your problems and I know all your pains and I know all your idiosyncrasies, but I love you anyway, and I want to be close to you and I want to talk to you and I want you to talk to me. He said, I want you to become a partaker in the divine nature, meaning become more like like the God who made you and become let God become more through you than what you could ever imagine God wants to do things through you that you could never even dream of that's what he says and so verse number five here's how we get to that point okay so remember there comes a point uh, in your Christian journey when the goosebumps start to wear off right and and just the natural joy and the natural excitement that you maybe had when you first got saved there's no specific time limit on it i know for me it was in about a year into being a christian all of a sudden i woke up one day and i thought man i got to like actually do something now to kind of cultivate this joy right I got to start getting busy. I got to do, by the way, I was in Bible college by that time already, but I was just, I mean, there just comes a point in all of our lives when we have to get purposeful in our pursuit of Christ. So look with me in verse number five. I can already tell we're not going to get very far. You guys are making me chase all these little rabbit holes and all this stuff. I haven't even got to the primary text yet, so you got to listen faster, all right? (laughs) Watch this, verse five, he says, but also for this very reason, Okay, here's the reason why he's about to tell us what what, what he's telling us. He said, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. Now, here's a great promise. For if these things are yours, and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You will never exhaust the fullness of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. You will always get to know him better if you'll do these things. There's always more to know about Jesus. So he says if you'll, if you'll apply these things, you'll get to know your God even more. Verse 9, for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and, for, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. He said, if you can't add these things, if you don't purposefully begin to take these steps, you will get to the point where you are very short-sighted. And I'm not being cruel when I say this, but I know a lot of very short-sighted Christian people. They can't see past the nose on their face. And so God said the reason that happens, you become short-sighted because you, you just never reached a point where you began to take these steps, or maybe you started taking the steps, but you stopped. And so I want to share some of that with you today as we dig into this truth. Heavenly Father, thank you once again for this time to be here. Lord, I pray for your blessing to be on us as we meet together. Lord, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit. We need you. Lord, that's not just something that we say. I'm saying it like for real, God. We need you here with us. We need you to talk to us. Lord, we want to hear your voice. 
And Lord, I ask that you would speak. Father, speak through me. And then Lord, say what I can't say to their hearts. Give me the ability to be a good teacher, a good preacher today as I share the truth that you've given to me. But then Lord, again, I pray that you would translate that into every person's life because every person here today is at a different point and has a different need. And so I pray that you'd supply it as only you can. And we'll thank you, Father. We'll praise you. For it's in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. So by way of introduction, let me walk you through some of the, the things that you need to kind of have under your belt before we get into the steps. I mentioned this in the first installment of this series, but I, so I'm just going to mention it very quickly this morning. Uh, talking about faith. This is actually a study on faith because everything that we do in the Christian life has to be energized and empowered by faith. Okay? So you've got to understand some things about faith. First of all, I want to say to you that faith is not a philosophy of life. Sometimes we treat faith like it's just the go-to word that we use when we don't know how to explain something, right? And we do have to believe things by faith, and we do have to operate in faith, but faith is not just a philosophy that we throw around when there's nothing else to explain the given scenario at hand, right? And so faith is not a mere philosophy. Uh, number two, I want to say to you that faith is not blind. People accuse us of, of walking by blind faith. Let me explain something to you. If you don't pursue God with your life and you think that you just got here by accident, you, sir, have blind faith, not me. If you think that, we, if you think that everything that you see in front of you just, just happened to appear out of some cosmic explosion out in the middle of the great unknown at some unknown point in time and then all those unknown things that exploded and turned into other unknown things somehow morphed together and became a human life, you are more blind than I'll ever dream about being. That's faith, neighbor. Amen. I'm not, what we have is not a blind faith. Yes, we do walk by faith, not by physical sight. We do have to believe with our spiritual eyes. We have to see with our spiritual eyes, hear with our spiritual ears, but it's not a blind faith. In 2 Corinthians 5, 7, again, it says we walk by faith, not by sight. I couldn't be walking in this if I didn't have some sight to go on. You don't walk without sight, Right? You don't take a step without sight. You don't go into the dark without a light to guide you through the dark so that you can see. So we're not walking by a blind faith. We walk, in the, we walk by faith in the Word of God. Here's the genius of God. I mean, think about this. The genius of the creator of the universe, instead of talking to us in this loud, booming voice all the time that we would probably forget if you have children, you can say amen right there. Right? Wouldn't you just like to have a manual that you hand to your kids and you say, hey, just, hey, dude, how do I, it's just, <laughs> page 432, go right there, and you'll know what I already said about that, right? So the genius of our creator God is that, is that he gave us a book. He gave us a manual. He gave, us, he gave us his writings. The Bible says that the word of God did not come in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. We believe that God inspired the writing of his word. And you can call that ignorant. You can call that unlearned. You can say I'm uneducated. I don't care what you call me. I've just chosen in my life to put my faith in the word of God. You've chosen to put your faith in something. Your faith is in psychology. Your faith is in philosophy. Your faith is in science. Your faith is in something. I've chosen to put my faith in the Word of God. And yes, I believe it from Genesis to Revelation. I believe that Moses parted the water. I believe that Jonah was swallowed by a big fish. I believe it all. You don't have to. It's okay. That's what I've chosen to believe in my life, and it hasn't failed me yet. 
Okay, so we walk by faith, not by sight. It's not a blind faith. The Bible says the word is a lamp to our feet and a light unto our path. And so we are walking by sight, but not physical sight. We're walking by the sight of the Holy Spirit. So faith is not blind. Faith is fundamental. Hebrews 11, verse number six, it says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And this is hard for me because I'm a very pragmatic person. I really am. Very practical I like to see things. I like to be able to fix things myself. I like to, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm a very pragmatic person. Most of you probably are as well. But we've got to get to this point where we understand unless we learn how to operate by faith, we can't even please God. God's not impressed with your performance. God's not impressed with what you can do in your flesh. God's not impressed with, with what, what you can contrive in your mind. God is looking for faith, and it doesn't take a lot of faith. Jesus said if you have the faith the size of, the gra- of a grain of mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, remove and be cast into the sea, and he said, it will be done for you. And so God's not looking for great faith. We talk about having great faith and, and mountaintop faith and monstrous faith and all these things, but God's not looking for big faith. He's just looking for what little faith you have to be applied in your life. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. Uh, Number four, by way of introduction, faith must be fed. You've got to feed your faith. Romans 10, verse number 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Whether you realize it or not, your faith is being fed right now. You may not feel it. You may not fully understand it. You may not be able to wrap your mind around it, but the Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. It's a reciprocal thing. We hear the Word of God by faith, but then when we hear the Word of God, God gives us more faith. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. That's why it's important to be in church when the doors are open because God wants to feed your faith. You need to be in your Bible. You need to read, but you also need to hear the Word. Amen? Two or three agreed with that. But I'm telling you, it's right. God has changed my life through the preaching of the Word of God. The biggest decisions I've ever, the most important, I should, I've made some big decisions that were bad, but the, the, but the biggest decisions that I made in my life that were good decisions, I made under the, the pro- proclamation, the preaching of God's Word. There's just something unique about it, okay? I'm not proud of this, but God calls what I do, He calls it the foolishness of preaching. I think that's to keep us humble, Right? But God says that he's chosen through the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's not just talking about salvation from hell or salvation from condemnation. It's talking about salvation in your life. God's going to deliver you from different things when you get under the word of God. The foolishness of it. So the foolishness of preaching. Okay, I'm going to hijack the screens right at this time. If, if you don't mind, I'm going to take over right now. I think if that works. And I want to walk you through this. So uh, what I showed you last time is that um, 1 Peter uh, chapter, or 2 Peter chapter number 1 uh, is, is telling us that we have to learn how to do basic addition in our spiritual journey. I'm so glad God didn't tell me I have to do calculus. Aren't you? I'm serious. I'm so glad that God did not make this complicated because I, I'm smart in some areas, all right? Not areas that usually count in life, but... I'm smart in some areas. Uh, I'm definitely not smart in the area of like advanced mathematics, okay? Like what do you, how do you pronounce that? Um, like uh, pre-algebra, pre, pre-algebra, yeah. Like anything beyond that, okay? You throw long division in front of me right now and you put a gun to my head and tell me I, you're gonna pull the, if, I, if, I, if my life depended on it, I couldn't do it. 
But God didn't give us complicated formulas. God said, I want you to simply learn how to add, right? I want you to simply learn how to add certain things in your life. So he says to us, add to your faith virtue. Anybody remember what we called that last time, adding to your faith virtue? Faith plus virtue equals what? See, you don't take notes. Faith plus virtue equals demonstrable faith or faith that can be demonstrated, okay? Faith plus virtue equals demonstrable faith or faith that can be demonstrated. The word virtue, the simplest definition that I can give you of the word virtue means strength from straining. It's like resistance training, right? If you're going to exercise and get stronger, you're going to have to learn to push past some resistance. So virtue is learning to, to push past some resistance, learning how to exercise your faith. Instead of just talking about faith, by virtue, you begin walking your faith. You begin living out your faith. You begin allowing people to see your faith by way of virtue. So we're explain, it's explained to us like this in James chapter number 2, verse number 18. He says, though a man says he hath faith and has not works, can faith save him? Right? That is a dynamic question. If a person says they have faith and, do, and they don't have works, can faith save him? Well, the answer is No. Because real faith is going to produce evidence and works. The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith always has evidence. Like if you were put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? I'm saying if people examined your life and looked at your life, would you have more than lip service to demonstrate the fact that you have faith? Right? So the question is, if a man says he has faith and doesn't have works, can faith save him? The answer is no. Because number one, faith doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus is the Savior. Faith is the vehicle that carries us to him. And so we're not saved by faith. We're saved by grace through faith. There's a big difference there. Saved by grace through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's not by your works. It's not by your righteousness. It's not by your religion. I'm telling you, it is by Jesus Christ. He is the Savior. John 14, 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. So can faith save you? Well, no. If your faith is in your faith, no. But if your faith is anchored in the rock of ages, the Lord Jesus Christ, that faith that's in you is going to change you. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you must be born again. Because it's not about just proclaiming some hypothetical faith. It's about having this real life-changing experience where you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, uh, not your religion, and not something that you just add to your righteous resume. He has to become your personal Savior where you pin your faith in him and no one else and nothing else. Jesus says, Nicodemus, you must be born again. I say to you this morning, Baptist, you must be born again. Pentecostal, you must be born again. Presbyterian, you must be born again. 
Church of Christ, you must be born again. Catholic, you must be born again. Episcopalian, you must be born again. It's not about your denominational tag or your your religious creed. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ dying on a cross for you, being buried and rising again on the third day. And if your faith is not in him, your faith is vain. But if your faith is in him, that faith is alive and it's active. The Bible says that he activates that within us. He said it to us right here in verse number four. He says that through these, you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption uh, uh, that is in the world through lust. He said, through faith, you became a part of God and God became a part of you. And the God that lives in you is so big, I promise you, he's gonna make a difference in you. I heard one old time country southern preacher say one time, he said, if you have a head-on collision with a holy God, you're going to leave the scene different than you were when you came there. Amen? (laughs) You cannot meet God and leave his presence the same way you encountered his presence. And so we said that faith plus virtue equals demonstrable faith or faith that can be demonstrated. So the second point today is this, virtue plus knowledge. It's the next thing in line, isn't it? Are you looking at your Bible? Are you just seeing if I spell this right? (laughs) Equals what we're going to call definable faith. Faith that you can define. Oh, it's up there. Why is it not back there where I can see my handwriting? Faith that you are able to define. So there has to come a point in your life, are you ready for this, that you can define to others why you believe what you believe in. There's nothing spiritual about being ignorant. Amen? Christians got by with that for a long time. I don't know much, amen, but I know God loves me and I know I'm saved. I can't explain nothing, but praise God. Amen. Woo. <laughs> and that's how, we, that's how we operated. For decades, Christians got by on that, right? But we live, we live in an era, and, and we never should have. That, that should have never been the case. But I'm saying, I, I think we sort of squeezed by. I say the church loosely. I think the church sort of squeezed by for years very, very, very casually because, you know, it just sounded good. Amen. It's like that. It's like that boy that was blind that Jesus touched his eyes, and one day, uh, or rather, the day that he touched his eyes, uh, they begin to criticize, and they said, "There's no way that you were ever blind. We don't believe it. This is a hoax. This is a farce. There's no way that anybody could open eyes that have been forever blind. Who is this Jesus that touched your eyes?" He said, "You know what? I don't know who he is, but I can tell you this: I was once blind. Now I can see. Right? Uh, couldn't see, can see. That's all I can tell you. Right?" Blind sight. Now I, I could, it was dark, now it's light, couldn't read, now I can see, right? That's, it, that's all I know. And that's wonderful when you first get saved. Matter of fact, I love the zeal of a newborn Christian. Just, just, this, just this fervor, and man, they don't know nothing. They're like kamikaze, uh, kamikazes of the faith just running out in the world going, Whoa, Jesus! Hey, hey, Jesus, right? I'm saved. I don't know what I got, but I got something good. Right? I don't know what they did to me, but man, it sure made a difference. I love that, man. There's something exciting. I think that's one reason this church is exciting. We got newborn people just been saved, and it's awesome, man. God's changing lives, and God's setting people free, and it's amazing. But you've got to get beyond the point of just saying, I don't know who Jesus is. I was blind. Now I see. That's all I know. 
you got to get past that point. It's good when you first get saved. It's great. Like, tell people what you do know. Share the Jesus you do know with them, but, but get to know him better. And don't, don't continue to operate in ignorance as if ignorance equals spirituality. It does not. There's nothing spiritual about being ignorant. So he said, add to your faith virtue, and then add to your virtue knowledge, because we've got to have definable faith. We've got to be able to explain to people what we have and what we believe in. First Peter chapter 3, if you just flip the page or back to your left a little bit, in First Peter chapter 3 and verse number 15, it says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. God's word says if anybody were to ask you why you believe what you believe, could you explain that to them? Could you take the time to, 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 to say, hey, man, here's, here's why I believe that God is the creator of all things. I know what you were taught in science and, and biology class, but listen, science and biology, they're just human beings too. They're just people, and it's all theory, right? Evolutionary theory, keyword theory. Y'all follow me? Over, what I'm talking about over here, the theory like, can you, take, can you take what you believe and say, well, here's why I believe that I was made by God. I don't think I got here by accident, right? And they can disagree. I'm not saying you got to be able to convince people, but at least be able to explain it to them. Say, I just, I just don't believe all this blew up and landed in one spot. I just don't believe that it was just a, just a, just a cosmic accident that this happened. I believe that we got here by God's design. I believe there's a creator in heaven that made us and he loves us and he wants relationship with us. And here's what I believe. If somebody asks you a question as simple as, why do you go to church, could you answer them? If your answer is, because that, that pastor is the best looking pastor you're ever going to see, that's not going to last that long because they're going to come one day and find out you're lying. <laughs> you done lied to me. I mean, you got to have, why do you go, why, why y'all go to that church every weekend? Why do you miss soccer games and baseball games? Go to that church. Ah, <laughs> talk about being presumptuous there, didn't I? But why, why, why do you go to that church? Why do you do that? Well, y'all be able to explain it to them. It doesn't have to be some like, like huge formula explanation. I just say, man, because I want to stay on the right track and I want to keep my family on the right track. And man, it's a positive environment and man, good people. And you're going to get under the word of God. And it's just an encouragement, great way to start your week, first day of the week. Man, start off with a bang and go into your week ready to meet the world, right? You ought to come to church on Sunday and be ready to charge hell with a squirt gun on Monday. Y'all got to look, man. If I got to play this stuff out, it's going to be a long day. All right. Add to your faith virtue. Add to your virtue, right? So we've got these steps that we're taking. Add to your faith virtue, demonstrable faith. First of all, make sure you're in the faith. That's important. The Bible says examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. Make sure you're genuinely saved. That's, that's point one. But he says, once you, once you started living out your faith, adding to your faith virtue, add to your virtue knowledge. Start learning why we believe what we believe in. Don't take any guy's word for it. Don't take my word for it. Amen? I hope you trust me. You need to have a certain level of trust in your, in your pastor and the guy that you come and listen to. I hope you have a certain level of trust in me. But by all means, always examine what I'm telling you. 
The Bible says, let God be true and every man a liar. I'm part of that every man part, not the God part. Let God be true and every man a liar. Examine it, study it, get in the word yourself, and add to your virtue knowledge. Okay? Add to your virtue knowledge. i got to hurry, okay, because we skipped this last week, so I'm a week behind. I want to give you this next point. Add to your faith virtue. To your virtue, you add knowledge. Let me just erase the little thing here. And then... Uh, after we add to our virtue knowledge, we need to add to our knowledge. Anybody else have trouble spelling knowledge? Okay, I'm just kidding, not me. Add to your knowledge, self-control. Your Bible might say temperance, means the same thing. We're going to call this disciplined faith. Check my spelling. Did I do it right? Okay. So add to your knowledge self-control. So, so once you have started to gain some knowledge, this doesn't mean you have to know everything, okay? But once you've started this step, once you've started in this process of learning and studying, you ought to continue doing that, all right? These are not steps that once you pass one, you just leave it behind. These are steps that once you employ it, you continue to do it, okay? So add to your faith virtue, demonstrable faith. Add to your virtue Knowledge, definable faith, add to your knowledge, self-control, disciplined faith. Unfortunately, most people never get past the knowledge step, okay? Most people never get past the knowledge step, and this is why a lot of Christians become very judgmental, controlling, and hypocritical. I'm going to let that saturate for a moment. But if you never get past the knowledge stage you will become very self-inflated, very self-righteous, holier than thou, because you're operating in the realm of knowledge, but you have not learned how to use the knowledge that God's given you. See, here's what most people do. They learn a few Bible verses, and then they figure out how they can hit people over the head with them, right? Well, don't you know the Bible says you're not supposed to? Was that close? I didn't even look. That's like magic. So saw. I didn't even pay attention. Was... <clears throat> we practiced before church. It's not a real sword. I'm just playing. I can come over here, fish your canine. Hey, but it says it, it, what most Christians do is they get some knowledge and then they, they start just exploiting what knowledge they have. And they begin using that knowledge not to help people, but to hurt people and to cut people and to criticize people. And they take the Bible and they use the Bible as if God gave them the Bible as a weapon to destroy lives. When in reality, what knowledge God has allowed you to uh, attain, he gave to you so that you could help heal people. See, God's word is not supposed to be used like a sword on other people to destroy. It's supposed to be used like a scalpel so that you can help drain the infection and the poison of sin that's overtaken their lives. It's supposed to be used as a healing bomb. It's called the sword of the Spirit because that's when we're fighting in the spirit realm. But when you're dealing with other human beings, God expects you to use his word as a healer. Not to be harmful, not to be attacking, not to show how much you know. Well, you know the Bible says over in Second Chronicles, chapter number 7, verse number 10, right? And we start attacking people with the book. But we've got to get to this point, this disciplined faith, this, this self-controlled faith where we learn how to use 
the Word. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 8, and I'm just going to write this here. I'm not going to write the, the verse out unless you want to. Y'all want to sit and watch me write this whole verse? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, if you're taking notes, says this. It says, Now as touching things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Okay, so Paul is dealing with the Christian's relationship to those who are still steeped in idolatry. This was a different culture 2,000 years ago than what we live in. You could, you could quantify this in many different arenas, okay? Uh, we know this about drug abuse. We know this about, about uh, sexual immorality. We know this about all that. You just make up something in your head, okay? Something that, uh, is a, that causes a cultural divide, things that Christians really shouldn't partake in, right? Uh, and, and take that subject and put this verse in that arena. So Paul's saying as touching idols, it was things that it was something they dealt with in their day, people still offering sacrifices to idols, even though they claimed to know Jesus, they were still going to pagan temples and doing, you know, pagan idolatry. He says that we know that we all have knowledge. Then he says, knowledge puffs up, but love or charity edifies. Another version that, that, I, that I read this in says, knowledge makes one arrogant. That's what puffs up, puff up, or to be puffed up means to be, become arrogant. He said, knowledge makes you arrogant. If you just have knowledge and you have no self-control, you'll become an arrogant person that nobody really wants to be around. Knowledge makes you arrogant, but love, the charity, the love of God, edifies. And then he makes this statement in verse 2. He says, and if any man think that he knows anything, I love this. If any man thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing as yet he ought to know. So here's what that means in, in just, just homeboy redneck language, all right? That means whatever you think you know, you don't know a fraction of what you should know. Whatever you think you know, whatever knowledge you think you have, however smart you think you are, there's a whole lot you still don't know. So, so if any man has knowledge, he said, if we just have knowledge, if anyone thinks he knows anything, he knows nothing as yet he ought to know. Now, if we were to look back in our text in 2 Peter chapter number 1, you remember what he says here. The promise is, he says that, that if these things are yours, in verse number 8, if these things are yours and abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the what? The knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're to be growing in knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's again how this relates to the, to the text that we're on now. He says, if, if, if you think you know something, if you think you've arrived at this grand destiny and you have, you've conquered this theological point and you have, you're just the master of the, this doctrine, he says, whatever you think you know, you don't know, you, you don't know nothing. You don't know nothing. All right? He says, so wherever you think you're at and whatever knowledge you think you've attained and however arrogant you might be about what you believe in, he says, you don't even know what you don't know yet. You don't even know all the questions, much less all the answers. So stop acting like you're better than other people because you have attained a certain level of knowledge. You're still not better than anybody. 
Just because you might know a little something somebody doesn't know. Again, I'm not promoting ignorance. We need to grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Always be growing in knowledge. But, but, but knowledge does not make you better than anybody, and it doesn't give you a right to, to cut other people down and criticize other people. It does, however, give you a right where you've got to a point in your life that you have some knowledge. It does give you a right to use what you know in a gracious, graceful way to help people get where they need to go. Knowledge makes you arrogant. Just, just knowledge. Just You ever just met somebody that, oh, they were just so smart you wanted to punch them in their Adam's apple? I've known a lot of people like that. I had a lot of professors in college like that. Just so, just so smart, but just arrogant. Look down their nose because you're stupid and I'm smart. Right? I know something, you don't know. And we use that, man. We use that. We use that like it somehow validates us. Like because God's given me some knowledge. I probably know enough Bible. This, this is going to sound arrogant, but let me be arrogant for a second. I probably know enough Bible to confuse everybody in the room about something. If I wanted to twist it and take it out of context, I could probably mess your life up a little bit. Right? I'm just saying, but, but, but knowledge doesn't give us the right to hurt people. Knowledge doesn't give us the right to use that as a trump card to throw it down and, and, and manipulate and, and try to overpower people and try to get people to live in fear and all this. Listen, man, this I period, E period, religion, this is what religion does because God's will is for you to get to know Jesus, all right? The will of God is for you to be in relationship with Christ, not for you to follow some man's list of do's and don'ts because he knows how to take a few Bible verses out of context. It's to get to know the God of the Bible. And anything God said don't do, he said don't do it because it's not necessarily a no. It's that he has a greater yes in store for you. And he's not doing it to hurt you. He's only doing anything that God has said thou shalt not. Those thou shalt nots are there to keep us safe. Not to be used as a blunt force object to harm people and beat people over the head. We've got to learn how to have self-control, discipline, faith. You might have some knowledge, but that does not give you the right to use your knowledge to attack other people. You ought to be able to defend it. You ought to be able to defend what you believe. Amen? You ought to be able to defend it. Somebody come at me. I can defend what I believe in, but I'm not going to go at them. Right? If we get in a fight, it's because you picked it. That's all I'm saying. I won't back down, but I'm not going to come at you. I'm not going to attack you. And you shouldn't be attacking other people with the knowledge that you have. We need to learn how to exercise self-control, right? This is adding to the knowledge, right? Self-control would be very fitting in any arena. Amen? I failed in this last night. I did. We went out to a sushi bar, hibachi grill, and my wife ate way too much. I'm serious. I'm serious. I was sitting there going, you know what the Bible says about gluttony. She didn't listen, y'all. She didn't listen. No, she's right there. I said that. I said that right in her face. Six or seven rows back. All right? We need to learn how to apply temperance, self-control in every arena. But this is in this context. He said to add it to your knowledge. Right? So we need to learn to take the knowledge that we have and use it in a disciplined way. Don't, don't put it in your back pocket and don't share the truth. Amen? We need to open our mouths about things. Right? 
Christians have been silent for too long. We do need to open our mouths. We need, to, we need to be able to define what we believe and why we believe it, but we need to be able to do it with a heart of grace 